morning we're going to be uh, actually in uh, September. This is September. We're moving into basically a new fiscal year. And so we're going to be moving into a new theme. And we've been looking at discipleship. And the third element of discipleship, which we'll be focusing on this year, is the area of mission. To be fishers of men. God's call to discipleship is summarized in this simple statement to the first disciples. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we saw that it begins with a personal response of obedience to follow me, that God cannot do this for us, that we ourselves must choose to take this journey and we must choose every day. It's not just a one-time thing, I'm going to be a Christian. This we must choose every day that the moment we wake up, we are going to follow Jesus. And after we choose uh, to follow Jesus, he says, I will make you, meaning that he's going to transform us and change us through the power of the Spirit, that every single day as we give our lives to him, that we will never stay the same, that we don't want to stay the same, that even in this past year, we can look back and say, God has changed us, made us different because we have walked with the Spirit. And this coming year, as we start this September, we're moving on to mission, that God says he is calling us to be fishers of men. Now, Jesus does not say, follow me and I will make you happy and more fulfilled. That's not the gospel. That's the American dream, you know, uh, but that's not the gospel. He doesn't say, uh, follow me and I will make sure that all of your prayers are answered and that everything that you hope for and wish for, that you'll get it and you'll be able to do everything you want to do. That, that's not the call of discipleship. He doesn't say, follow me and I will make you better people who will contribute to society. No, he doesn't say that. He says very specific, I will make you fishers of men. This is God's call to every follower of Jesus Christ, every person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, everyone who is willing to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. God has a very specific calling of bringing the gospel to the world. And the first disciples were fishermen. In ancient times, it means that's not just their job. It means that that would be the majority of their time, the majority of their years would be fishing. Uh, they would teach their children how to fish. Their children would teach their children how to fish, and they would continue to do this. This is not their profession. Basically, it was their preoccupation. It was their passion. It was their purpose in life. And so when Jesus walked on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he saw James and John and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And what he's saying is your new profession, your new preoccupation, your new passion and purpose is now going to be for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to cost them everything, but it would bring them something that they would never imagine or ever hope for. This coming year, we're going to be shifting our personal and collective attention on the area of mission, to be a, a gospel-centered community, a distinctive Jesus community for Christ. And we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, 1 Thessalonians was one of Paul's earliest uh, writings. In fact, in Acts 17, during the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, this is like Paul received this vision of the, this man from Macedonia just calling for help, saying, you have to come 
Paul had his plan, and then he had this vision of this person saying, please come to Macedonia, because we need to hear the gospel. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, they crossed over uh, from Europe, and they went to Philippi, and then they went to Thessalonica. You see that on the top of the screen there. And when they went into Thessalonica, when the Jews found out that they were there, they mobbed the house that Paul was staying at, and the, 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 the person who owned the house, whose name was Jason, uh, Paul wasn't there, but they dragged Jason out, they charged him with harboring criminals and treason, and they were, gonna, they were about to kill him. Um, but Paul uh, escaped, he went 40 miles west, and he went to Berea, we see Berea there, next to Thessalonica. And, um, and when he went there, the Thessalonians actually, they didn't stop. They said, where did Paul go? And they found out he went to Berea. And so they actually went, sent an entourage to Berea and incited the leaders there to, to expel Paul as well. I mean, it's one thing to say, get out of our town. We don't want you here get lost, you're, you don't belong here. It's another thing if they look for where you're going and they follow you in the next town and they say, we don't want you to share Jesus here either or there either or anywhere. And the Bereans, they actually like, wanted Paul to stay. They, they, they studied God's word and they, 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 they loved you know, uh, the things that he was saying, but the Thessalonians would go there and say, no, you know, they wanted to kick him out there. And so, so Paul, when he wrote 1 Thessalonians, um, he was writing to the believers who actually remained in Thessalonica. And, and he wrote First Thessalonians because he was concerned that this very young congregation that, that facing this type of, of persecution or this type of heart towards the gospel or against the gospel, that, that they may uh, be discouraged, or they, that the church may fall apart. And so he wrote this letter to them to encourage them and strengthen them. And that's what we're going to be studying in the next few weeks. So I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Now let's stand in reverence for the word of God. And here the verse, here's, Paul, here's God's word from verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report of what kind of reception you gave to us. They tell of how you turn to God from idols and serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. From this passage, we're going to see that God is calling us to his mission. 
And to be missional is not just about proclaiming a distinctive message, but about living in a distinctive manner. And what we're going to be looking at in, in this passage is we're going to be seeing what it means to be a thankful community, to be a steadfast community, and to be a powerful community. See, each of these qualities say something about the message of the gospel. Now, we always hear about this idea that we say, well, you know, when I'm at work, when I'm at school, I want my words to, my, my, my life to live the gospel out and, and live the love of God out. And, and I'm going to not just say it, but I'm going to live it. In fact, we say most of my time, I'm just going to live it. 90% maybe live, maybe 10% I'll say something. But the thing is also is we, we want to say, well, but what about our life? What are we trying to communicate? Because a lot of times we say, well, what I'm trying to communicate is I'm trying to communicate love. Okay, the love of Christ. And we often say, I'm trying to communicate that Christians aren't judgmental. I mean, that, that's another thing we always say, oh, I'm trying to communicate Christians aren't judgmental, that we're loving, we're open, we're caring. And I said, well, that's good, but is that really the message of the gospel? Is the message of the gospel that we just love, the gospel is just good, loving, and not judgmental? Or is the message of the gospel more than that? See, when we want to communicate, when we want to live out the gospel, we need to be very specific about what the message of the gospel is and how that message then demands how we live. Thankful, steadfast, powerful. How do each of these things really communicate the actual truths of the gospel? And so we believe uh, that, 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 that we are about Jesus and the gospel. We believe that the world um, is dying without Jesus Christ, that um, without Jesus, people will go to hell. And that's what it says very specifically. It doesn't matter what their beliefs are, it doesn't matter whether they're a good person, it doesn't matter whether they're legal or illegal, it doesn't matter what sexual orientation they are, it doesn't matter what political persuasion they are. If people have not put their personal faith in Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity in hell. That's really how we look at the world. And so it's all about, to us, it's all about the proclamation of the gospel. It's about being a distinctive community of Jesus Christ. It's, be a, it's about being these things so that we communicate to the world as we speak to the world, they understand the, 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 the power and the worth and the value of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. And so the, we want to look at the first thing. A distinctive community is a thankful community. Now, you can tell um, that a person is um, thankful by just the way that they are. I mean, you can tell when a person is thankful. You can tell when a person, uh, you look at their lives, it's not just that they say thank you all the time. It's uh, they smile, uh, they're joyful, uh, they have a certain sense of humility. Uh, there's a certain way about uh, their words and their life. They don't complain, uh, they don't demand. Uh, they treat people graciously. There's a lot of intangibles. There's, there's a generosity in their life. And, and we look at this and we say, um, this is a thankful person. I just know it when I see this person. See, thankfulness in a community demonstrates the message of the gospel, that the message of the gospel is a message of grace. That's first and foremost, that we 
we live a life that shows that the gospel is about the grace of God. Paul begins this letter with a strong affirmation of thanksgiving. In verse two, he says, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you. Now see, here's the thing, is the first question about the gospel regards the idea of the grace of God. That people in this world are asking, you know, how do I know that God is genuine? I mean, we talk about God, that God is real, and I always tell people when I'm sharing the gospel, I say, the, the, the big question is not whether God exists. I mean, whether God exists is fine, but if God exists and he hates me, that's not good news. See, the question is, not just does God exist, but what is his intention toward me? Does he love me? Is his concern for me genuine? And this is what the world is, is thinking. Does God really care for me? When things like, like, like uh, the tragedies that happen in our world today, people are asking, is God's love genuine? And they're asking this question, and our answer is through our thanksgiving and our grateful life. We are sharing with them to say, yes, God is genuine. Paul says in, verse, in, in, in the verse, he says very clearly, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning our prayers, we are continually, constantly remembering you before God. There's this sense of, of excitement, pride in what's going on in the Thessalonic, I'm gonna have to get this, this pronounce this faster, but anyways, Thessalonian in the church in Thessalonica. And it's important because these people are under intense persecution. Remember the background. And so Paul's words um, are, are, are very powerful to say, man, we are thanking God for you. Um, uh, we're, we're constantly remembering you in our prayers. We're so excited about what's going on in your life and what's happening in Thessalonica right now. And what Paul's words are saying is he's making this statement that thanksgiving is not simply a response to favorable circumstances. Okay, that's what we normally think of thanksgiving. Somebody does something good for you, you thank them. Well, I got a gift, thank you. Oh, uh, God did something great for me today. Thank you, God, that you did something great. Oh, time is hard. I have to think of something good that God has done for me and some favorable circumstances in the past, and I can thank God for that. Uh, that but, but Paul's words are saying here that, that thankfulness is not simply a response to favorable circumstances, but rather it is an attitude that we carry into every environment that we encounter. It's something we bring into. What it means is that circumstances do not act upon us as believers, but rather we act upon the circumstances to bring a gospel of grace with an attitude of thanksgiving, regardless of the circumstances. Paul goes on in verse three, he says, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. And he goes at the end, he says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Here's the reason we can be thankful, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. It is because we are loved by God and because we are chosen by God. You know, it's said that there are two primary human needs that everyone feels. Doesn't matter, um, you know, whether you're a Christian, Buddhist, atheist, these are two very basic needs that every human being needs. 
and that is that everyone needs to feel loved. They need to feel that someone loves them or that I you know, am loved by someone. Second thing, they need to feel significant. They need to feel a sense of purpose, that my life has meaning. See, the, the, no matter what's going on, whatever the circumstances, whether they're in third world country or first world country, whether they're rich as crazy or poor as you know, nothing, everyone is seeking to say, no matter how much money I have, no matter how much stuff I got, I really want to feel loved, that someone loves me. I want to feel significant. I want to feel like, like that there's purpose in my life, that the things that I do have meaning. In fact, if you take one of these things away for a prolonged period of time, our lives eventually become hopeless, become dark, no matter how comfortable uh, we are. That, that loneliness and purposelessness eventually eats away at the soul. And so we see here, Paul says to every person, this is what the gospel has brought into your life. Number one, you are loved by God. You are God's beloved. You are brothers and sisters together in Christ. Number two, he has chosen you for a purpose. That your life, what you do here on earth, when you walk with Jesus day to day, it has an impact that is greater than you will ever know. It has an eternal significance upon the world and future generations, the things that you do right now. This is a fundamental piece of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we look at the world around us, when we look at our lives, we don't have to look at circumstances and say, you know, gosh, I, I, I don't know if people like me or whatever. I'm loved by God already. We don't have to look at work and say, or whatever and say, gosh, I feel like aimless, purposeless. I feel like life has no meaning. No, we have a purpose in God because he has called us. This is part of the gospel. And so what we want to ask now is, first of all, how can I illustrate this grace of the gospel in my life this week? With the people I talk to, with the people that I know are hurting, with the person that I know that is lonely, with the person that I know that is unfulfilled with his work and, and dissatisfied with where he's at, or the person who uh, works for me, who, 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 who doesn't have that opportunity to move forward and wonders, you know, what's the purpose in life? We have the opportunity to, to show and communicate um, the love of God, that you are loved by God, that God has a calling and a purpose. This is the first aspect that, of a distinctive Jesus community that is a community that is thankful and full of grace. The second aspect of a distinctive of Jesus community is that of steadfastness, that it is a steadfast community. See, the second question regarding the gospel is, usually, is about the, 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 the question of exclusive truth, right? The exclusive claims of the gospel, that steadfastness illustrates the exclusive claims of the gospel. See, people in this world are asking, how do I know that Jesus is the only way? I mean, you know, there's, nowadays it's like, you know, everything, anybody should be able to choose what they want and who they want to be, and nobody should tell you who you should be or what you are or whatever. You can be whatever you want to be. You should be able to choose whatever you want to choose. So how do I know, how do you convince me that Jesus is the only way? And our answer is 
through our unwavering faith, through our steadfastness. I had a cousin, I still have a cousin, Fred, he, yeah. <laughs> he, he's actually the same age as me. We were born like a few days apart and we always celebrate our birthdays together. And in college, we, went, we both went to Berkeley, so every year we would meet and uh, we'd go out for dinner and celebrate our birthdays together. And I remember sitting with him and, and uh, talking and for whatever reason, I can't even remember what the reason was, but I, ta I was talking about the gospel. And I said, I said yeah, um, you know, people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, they're gonna go to hell. And I remember Fred talking to me going, you don't believe that. I mean, he didn't even say, you don't believe that. He said, you don't believe that. And he was so confident. I said, what do you mean? He says, he says I know you don't believe that. And he's not a Christian. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, because if you really believe that, your life would be different. I know you would live differently. And that really like, convicted me because there's not a Christian telling me, like, if you really believe this, your life, what I see in your life would be very different. And I'm like, ooh, whoa, you know. And see, here's the thing, is that when people ask, how do I know Jesus is the only way? You know, our unwavering faith is not going to answer the question, but it's going to illustrate the truth. It's going to illustrate why, you know, Jesus is the only way. This shows that Jesus is the only way because of the way that we as Christians, we as the church of Jesus Christ, lives out our faith the way that we believe, the convictions we have. We can give all the arguments about why Jesus is the only way, but nothing is more convincing than seeing a life that really believes it. How does your life look? What does it look like if you really believe that everyone is going to hell if they don't put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, that Jesus is the only way? See, we live at our truth when the, of the gospel when we are steadfast in our faith. In verse four, it says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because the gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. We know how you, we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Paul has such confidence in these believers in Thessalonica that they are beloved by God because they have demonstrated this steadfastness in the spirit amidst great persecution. This idea of deep conviction gives this idea of certainty to say, I have no doubt whatsoever of the truth of this, of whatever it is. There's no wavering. I'm stubborn, I'm gonna stand by it, I'm not going to move. That's conviction. And in verse six, it says, you become imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcome this message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. You not only take this message, but you're joyful in this place of terrible persecution. I mean, suffering indicates this conflict, persecution, isolation, that, that, that these new converts, and they're new converts, okay? They're not like seasoned Christians who have gone through so much. These are people who just put their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Paul can leave town, but they can't. Why? Their family's there, their livelihood is there, their elderly parents are there, they take care of them, their children are there, their social network is there. We can't leave. And so the town has just kicked Paul out, and they're already sending people out to the next town to get rid of Paul. 
And they're looking around and they're saying, okay, Paul and those troublemakers are gone. We even chased them. We're going to chase them out of Berea. So uh, is anybody else here a follower of Jesus Christ? And then Christians in the back are going, you know, I am. This is what these new believers have to deal with. And Paul writes these, this letter to them. And he's saying to them, you know what? He's saying, your example of faith and courage is being spoken about throughout the whole region, throughout all of Macedonia. We don't even have to say anything about you. We just have to mention the word Thessalonians. And people say, whoa, you mean those people who love and stand by Jesus in the midst of terrible persecution? We know all about them. You don't have to tell us about them, Paul. We know about their testimony. See, that's steadfastness. That's a sense that, that we believe that Jesus is the only way. And it's so, it's so much. I mean, if there was any other way than Jesus, we could probably try to find, oh, you know, do this. but Jesus is the only way. If Jesus is the only way, then we must be steadfast. There's no compromise. We think about mission. We think about bringing the gospel uh, to our world and to our neighborhoods. We need to ask ourselves, do we live a life? Am I living a life that really believes that Jesus is the only way to salvation? That's a tough question. I mean, it takes a lot of thought to think about it. What does that mean for me? It's not just am I loving and am I kind and I'm good. Those things are a little easier. But what does it mean to say I'm living a life that really believes that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Do I really live out what I believe even at the prospect of sacrifice and loss? Do people know that I follow Jesus, not just because he gives me a good life, but because he's worthy? Do I really show that he's worthy? Am I standing up for what I believe? Do people even know that I'm a Christian? Do people see that I'm different because of my obedience to Jesus Christ? See, this illustrates these things, these actions illustrate to others the truth of the gospel, that indeed Jesus is the only way. And so we've looked at the distinctive Jesus community is a thankful community. We show the grace of God. We've seen it as a, a steadfast community. We show that, that God indeed is the truth. And the, the last thing we want to see, the third and final characteristic is, is the power. It is a powerful community. It is a power of the Spirit. It is a clear demonstration in our community that Jesus is alive and well in his followers. That the same power of the Spirit that lived in the early followers of Jesus Christ, in the Thessalonians, in the situation they're at, that, they, that we have that same power and we have that same Spirit right now uh, in us. You see, the final question regarding the Gospel is the area of assurance that that the idea that people are asking um, how do I know that the gospel will actually save me I mean you say this and it sounds all nice but if I really pray and I do these things how do I know that really it's going to change my life that, that, that the gospel really is going to save me that I don't have to have all this other stuff that I'm trusting in and, and I can put my life in Jesus. How do I really know? And our answer is uh, the fruit, my fruitful and my spirit-filled life, that our lives must show to others that the gospel actually saves by showing 
the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, uh, the, the work of the Spirit in our lives. I mean, the Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14 says the Holy Spirit is what? Is our deposit. It's the guarantee of our salvation. It shows us that, that the future that we are going to be saved. Wow, why do we know? Because we have this power, we have this experience, it's experiential. We have this thing going on right now that tells us it guarantees the future. It's so powerful. It's so unique. It's not just, oh, I feel happy today. That doesn't give you the insurance of salvation because, I mean, yeah, I don't feel happy tomorrow. No, there's something about the Holy Spirit in you. There's something powerful about that Holy Spirit that's so real that no matter what we go through in this life, we say, I know that I have salvation. No doubt that I have salvation because God has given this to me. And look in verse 7. It says, you have become a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, the Lord's message rang out not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Verse 7 is just a wonderful verse. And wouldn't it be great to be able to, to have that said of us? You become a model to all believers. The Thessalonians were imitators of the missionaries, imitators of Jesus, and they turned out to be a model not just in Macedonia but in Achaia, but really everywhere, that the gospel was so undeniable because of the power of the Spirit working in them. And verse 9 says, And they tell of how you turn to God from idols to serve the, true, the living and true God and wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. He's saying it's so clear this change, this thing that's going on in your life, that, that this is because of Jesus. Everybody in the world knows it. Not only that, it's real clear that you have turned from idols. You have shown and proven that idols are dead, that the gods of this world are nothing. And you have turned and really found and you really serve the living God. The behavior and testimony of the Thessalonian believers was not just saying that Jesus is the truth and the life, but it's also saying that idols are nothing. And this speaks to us in terms of, you know, the idols and the gods of this world. Are we really going to show that the God of money and finding security in money and finding happiness in money and, and, and finding everything you want in money, are we going to show through our lives that we've turned from that idol, that that idol has nothing on our lives, that that God is dead? Have we shown through our lives that, that the idea of success and education and, and, and me and the ability, my abilities and my skills, this, this false god, this false idol in our world today, are we showing that this idol is dead because of our lives, because of the things that we do? This is a communal testimony. So when we look at this, uh, we look again at this idea of the grace of God. This is the gospel. And the question that people are asking, is God sincere? And the answer that we give them is look at my thanksgiving. Look at the, the joy and, and constant thanksgiving in my life and that shows you the grace of God of the gospel. The second thing is truth, exclusive truth of the gospel. And people are asking, is Jesus the only way? How do I know Jesus is the only way? And we're saying, look at my unwavering faith. If it were not true, I would not live this way. And finally, the last question is assurance. How do I really know that putting my faith in Jesus Christ will save me? 
That's the assurance of salvation. And our answer is, look at the spiritual fruit. Look at our lives. Look at my life. The power of the Spirit that is so evident. And that will give you your answer. And so we look at this as a church together and we think, you know, like the Thessalonian church, a distinctive community of Jesus Christ, rooted in God's grace, steadfast in persecution, the power of the Spirit, characterized by faith. He says, faith, hope, and love. That we are part, uh, clearly apart from the gods of this world. This is, this is what God is calling us to do and to be. And as we look forward to this year, as we um, take the communion, I'd like us to really consecrate ourselves. This is a year which we're really going to move forward for the gospel. There's a time when we must say, okay, God, I'm, I'm being transformed. I'm receiving all these things. I'm growing in Jesus Christ. There's a time when we must go out and say, okay, I'm going to honor God and obey God by bringing this gospel to Jesus, to, uh, to the world that doesn't know him. That I'm really going to speak to that coworker that, you know, or that, that uh, student or that neighbor. And we may go back and say, well, you know, I've known this, this person for so long and I know they've been against the gospel for so long and I, I've drained all my relationships already. God can do anything. We pray this year, we go back to it this year, and, and we don't give up hope. We don't go back and say, well, this person is never going to be saved. That person is never going to be saved. I've been trying with this person so long. No, it's, it's ground zero again. Because we're saying, God, this year, we're going to put it before the altar, and we're going to put ourselves before the altar and say, I'm just going to, I'm going to live out this gospel, and I'm going to speak this gospel, and I'm going to believe that that God's going to do some great things in the lives of people around me, in my family, in, 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 in my, my mom and dad who, who, who constantly reject the gospel, that maybe this is the year we're going to keep sharing the gospel with them, with, with, with the people that have seen us at work for years and years and years and we've talked about being a Christian and they know we're a Christian and they never talk about it and whenever we talk about it they don't say anything or whatever. This is the year we pray and we say, God, I'm consecrating myself to you right now to say this is a year where we start again and really begin to, to, to share and to pray and say, I'm going to bring this person before the Lord and, and see them come to know Lord Jesus as Savior. Or maybe as people that we don't even know in our lives right now, uh, we say, well, this year... I'm going to pray that God broadens my relationships, that he's going to bring one or two people in my lives this year that he's going to call me to share the gospel with. Not just to live out and be that good friend, but really to, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to that person and share with them and walk with them until they're ready to, to receive him as Savior. Let's, let's bring that before the Lord. And, and this year, as a church together, as individuals, this is what we were going to be focusing on. This is what we're going to be really asking of God this year and believing that God is going to answer, that he is going to work in ways that, uh, that we've already maybe even given up on, but he's going to work. God doesn't give up. Let's go ahead and let's just spend some time in prayer right now before we take the communion. And really give yourself